PV Mart stores are rooted in the communities we serve, and we are connected to the land in the same way our customers are. Whether you're an urban farmer, backyard chicken aficionado, traditional rancher, or anything in between, we offer just the right mix of homesteading, outdoor adventure, DIY, yard and garden, outdoor and workwear, husbandry, livestock, and pet supplies. Whether you're a dabbler or all in, we're here to help and strive to offer a range of products that will meet the unique needs of our customers. PV Mart will always be there with the tools, equipment, indoor or outdoor wares, seed or feed, for everyday work, fun, or connecting to the land on a whole new level. For more information, go to pvmart.com. Hi, I'm Ian Sherwood. As a songwriter and musician, I've traveled through countless small towns, heard incredible stories, and witnessed some of the amazing ways in which people in towns and cities across this vast country have woven their lives into the land they live on. It's made me think about the way I interact with my own environment and the natural world, where my family's food comes from, what impact I'm having on the planet, and what we're all leaving behind for our kids to inherit. So, now I'm on a mission to learn about how I can tap back into the essence of where we all come from. Today, with so much at our fingertips, it's easy to lose sight of the most important connection we have. Welcome to Connected to the Land. One of the most important ways we connect to the land is through the food we eat. The way we source it, grow it, prepare and cook it, it all comes into play when we're nourishing ourselves and our families. Many people have taken food preparation to the next level, transforming the energy from the sun, which allows anything and everything to grow, into meals that can be works of art. One of these people is Meg Tucker. English major, media personality, one of the top 25 on MasterChef Canada, and now an online cooking instructor. She was the perfect person to get to the bottom of how food connects us to the land and how we can reestablish that connection in an age of easy meals. And what is freezer jam, anyway? Hi, Meg. How's it going? Good, Ian. Thank you so much for having me. Really uh, happy to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm so I'm so excited because <laughs> I love eating and I love food. And I'm very, very thrilled to be talking to you about what we're going to talk to you about today. So, um, so I'm on this quest to become more connected to the land. Uh, so I'm just going to start at the beginning. I'm, I'm interested sure. in knowing, can cooking and food prep help build a connection with the land we live on? Oh, what a great question. Yes, it absolutely can. I feel as though, and I've been saying this, especially in the last three months, that now more than ever is Mm -hmm. the time for us to take stock of, you know, the busy lives that we lead. We've been forced to slow down. We are not grocery shopping maybe as often as we mm-hmm. are normally doing. And it's, it's I think, having people reflect and think, well, wait a minute, how can I grow my own? Or could I grow my own? Mm-hmm. Or could I, could I bake my own? And I think we're seeing this, it's almost like we're going back in time, which is lovely. And we're able to say, this is kind of how it used to be. How can we, who, you know, if you're in a city, how can I do just a little bit of that and a little bit of what people used to do? So, yeah, I think we're seeing, I think we're seeing now more than ever people are, are retreating to their backyards or their little back balconies and decks and, and figuring out ways to 
to grow their own food and conversely to take food from the grocery store and stretch it out and make it last longer and turn it into things that will last longer right all of that i want to talk about all of that there's so many <laughs> there's so many okay. so many things in what you just said that i think are so important and uh, the, the idea of you know what you're seeing on social media but also the difference between what you're seeing on social media versus what people are actually doing because you know pictures you see on instagram of lovely loaves oh. of bread and everything like that it is not necessarily like how many wasted sourdoughs yes. have gone into the compost because the person was just waiting for that specific you know beautifully cut <laughs> piece of bread. Um, but you know, and I want to get to all that, but I, I want to, I also just want to start at the beginning with you as well. So yes. uh, this love of food is universal. It's the, one of the basic elements of being connected to the land. So for you, what got you interested in, in cooking food and prepping food and taking it to the next level like you have? Sure. Uh, well, I have always, always felt connected to the kitchen. I want to make it very clear that it wasn't until literally the pandemic hit that I made the pivot to, to, to make it part of my, my business life and also yeah. to take it to even the bigger level of going to culinary school. So I oh, am wow. okay. prior to today, I am fairly self-taught. I, uh, all my grandmothers were incredible cooks. I think we can all kind of close our eyes and think back to a recipe that we grew up eating and loving mm. that someone else cooked for us. Absolutely. So, you know, we can take my grandmother's rolls. We can take my, you know, my nanny made the best donuts and, <laughs> and, and, you know, it was a casserole recipe that's been passed down. And, and that's kind of, I've always felt a real connection. I think when you don't have the words, you can always sit around a table and eat or if you're a maritimer, you mm -hmm. can play music in the kitchen. You know, all good <laughs> parties end in the kitchen. So the kitchen has always, to me, been a source of comfort. Mm -hmm. And I've said this many, many times. I've moved around a lot. I was born in Montreal, and then I grew up in Fredericton, New Brunswick. And then I moved, after university, I moved to Halifax, Vancouver, Toronto, New York, and then Calgary, and now Red Deer, mm. Alberta. Yeah. And and through all of those moves and through working in marketing and then through being a morning radio show co-host for 14 years, I always, no matter where I lived or where I worked, I always felt at home if I were in the kitchen. <laughs> and my parents divorced, as sadly so many do these mm -hmm. days, um, when I was really young. And great relationship, though, with both of my parents parents and my dad who was a guidance counselor who that automatic automatically meant he had quite a lot of patience he would let me go into okay. the kitchen and just create so i would say to oh. him okay you can't come in i'm in here and i'm making something and then i would make him taste it and judge it so perhaps that was a little a little <laughs> foreshadowing to all the years later when i ended up on master chef canada right. but he i would create these concoctions and i think allowing me to just be free and experiment really also helped me love food and 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 love you know just experimenting mm -hmm. and 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 I think that the, as a kid you certainly don't know what goes with what and you're not sure if measurements are right but it's through right. those 
you know, trial and error and that tastes good and this needs more of this. And so I always kind of experimented through the years, um, through it all. I, I, I cooked and loved it cooked. Everyone always said, you're a really good cook. You should. And then of course, reality TV came. So you should, you should try out for MasterChef Canada. So I, I did, I, I did. I thought, you know what? I'm a home cook. That's what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. I love food. I am not a fancy cook. I'm not a fussy cook. Let's do it. Now just, so I did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now just, just on that a little bit, because I, I've got kids as well. And, and uh, I think your dad's a very brave man. I know the kind of <laughs> concoctions they come up with. I'm not uh, really I, sure I would uh, necessarily <laughs> want to be the taste tester at the other end of it, but I think that's, that's right. great. But it brings up a larger point, which is this whole idea of, especially these days, where there's so like there's uh, uh, websites like Epicurious and, and you know you don't have to go far to find mm. blogs and YouTube videos and and people online telling you the right way and this is how you do this and it's it's fantastic I mean I had a VHS tape of Jacques Pepin you know showing yeah, me how to you know sharpen my knives but mm-hmm. I, I wonder if maybe there's a, a sense of that fun and that experimenting that maybe has been lost as a result of this. Like you had the freedom to go in and just experiment and try out. And I feel like maybe there's a lot of people out there who don't, they don't have that anymore because they feel like there's a right and a wrong way to cook in the kitchen. It's such a good point, Ian. I feel as though I gravitate to, if we're going to talk chefs and Mm -hmm. I say celebrity chefs because chefs have really come into their own and, and, you know, kudos to, all of the kitchen workers because they're the real heroes in the world of food because, you know, you have millions of chefs and cooks around the world and then a handful who get featured on TV. So uh, all cooks in general, I think, you know, have their own style. And I know that I gravitate toward those who toss the recipes aside Mm -hmm. and who, who tell us, don't worry if yours doesn't look like mine. And I tell my kids, we'll get to that, but I tell my kids when in my cooking classes, mine shouldn't look like yours. Yours should look different. It's like a snowflake. Everyone is different. Your oven is different. Your technique is different. 2000 people could cook from the same recipe Mm -hmm. and it could look 2000 different ways. And that's okay. And I think that that is something that, you know, we need to work on realizing that food isn't perfect. Food is a journey. Life is a journey. Mm. Enjoy getting there. If you, if yours takes an unexpected turn, you could come up with something that's even better than what the recipe says. I mean, half of the great things in the world came from mistakes <laughs> when it comes to food. Right. So, you yeah. know, I, I, I think I gravitate. I mean, I gravitate to a Jamie Oliver. Nothing mm-hmm. that he makes is perfection. I am not one who would choose to go to a Michelin star restaurant. I think I would love the experience, but again, I think I would rather a family style down home, just really delicious meal. So I think that's kind of what, what I hope to share with people is that your food doesn't have to be perfect. If you make it, you love making it, you all enjoy eating it. That's Mm. a success. You know, we've talked on this podcast in the past about the idea of food scarcity and uh, the dichotomy of like the big box store versus small independents and locally sourced foods. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, if folks aren't excited about actually 
prepping and, and, and preparing their own food that they've brought home, none of that's really going to matter. So you're the perfect person to ask this and get to the bottom of this. Uh, so it might be a strange question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What is, what is exciting about prepping and preparing your own food? Oh, I love this question. Okay. I went, having been a home cook and my husband Wade will attest, he said the toughest thing that's going to happen for you to go to culinary school, which I am a student right now. It's an online culinary program that will give me professional cook certification. Will I be a Red Seal chef? Absolutely not. That's not why I'm doing it, but it will give me a certification and the to build on the foundation of what I already know. It's right. an incredible course. It's called Ruby and it's R-O-U-X, like Rue, which mm, is flour uh, and clever. butter, yeah. mm. right? And then B, B-E, because to make flour and butter transform into a roux, which helps transform into a sauce. Mm -hmm. They're putting that with B and they're saying you can transform into anything you want, just like ingredients. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So um, my husband said to me, that's going to be the toughest thing for you because I am a very, let's just wing it. Let's taste as we go. Let's make this delicious. And culinary school is very mise en place. It's very, everything is prepped. Everything has its own little bowl. You do all your prep and then you begin to cook. So to answer your question, what is exciting about prep? I am finding a new love for it because I feel as though sometimes when you just go and walk into a kitchen and you grab a pan and then you look in the fridge or your pantry and think, where do I go? What do I do? You start grabbing things and it might not be as carefully thought out. So I'm trying to train myself to think about what it is that I want to make, mm-hmm. look through and and sometimes you go backwards. Sometimes a fun game for a family is to let's look in the pantry, let's look in the fridge and the freezer and let's see what are the ingredients and then what can we do with those ingredients. So that's part of prepping. Part of prepping is figuring out what you want to make, and then you have to figure out the roadmap of how you're going to get there. It's kind of like a road trip. So I think part of this whole quarantine life that we call it, that we've been living in, is an awesome opportunity for families to do that. If you've got three kids, consider three dinners or three suppers and let each kid pick maybe a main star. Let's pick the main ingredient. Mm. And so once they've picked that ingredient, then you could say, okay, what do we want to, what do we want to build with that? We have a protein or maybe it's meatless, but pick a protein and then, okay, what do we want to put with that? We need something like a starch. Maybe we need some vegetables. Maybe we want some spices. Maybe we, and then you start going into flavor profiles. So it Mm. can become, prep can become fun. So prep is two parts. It's thinking about it. And then it's also physically preparing it to be cooked and that's the part where i think you can also really get kids involved and you can teach them this can become homeschooling you can talk about Mm -hmm. where the food where where did this grow did does a carrot grow on a tree does a carrot grow in the ground Mm -hmm. do we know how many varieties of potatoes there are in the world let's look through everything you're going to put into your meal do some Googling, send your kids to their laptops or their iPads and have them look up what recipe you're making and 
where that recipe came from. So I feel like getting connected not only to the recipe, but to the origin of the recipe, to where it came from, to the land, to who, to where those vegetables were grown, where the farm is. And, and, and it just sort of kind of makes it a learning and a story and i really think it needs a story uh, that's i love that idea of it having a story behind it because we did I, I think i may have mentioned already the story behind uh the food that you're bringing into into your your kitchen and where it all comes from uh you mentioned you've are i mean in that conversation alone you've already taken it to a level i think that a lot of people would maybe say oh my gosh well she clearly has a love of getting dinner ready <laughs> far beyond mm-hmm far beyond me. I joke that my wife has a superpower and that she's able to look into the fridge, see the things that are left over and concoct a meal based on what's in there. She's like, okay, well, we've got this half eaten zucchini and we've got this, you know, jar of yogurt and we've got this and that, and we'll just, we're going to do this. And, uh, and it really is amazing and something to watch. And it's a skill that she's cultivated, cultivated over time. And I think also, and and please chime in and tell me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong on this, but just by doing it over time, the idea of maybe kind of straying from the recipe as you start to learn what the different flavors in your kitchen are, then you're you're better able to kind of say, you know what, instead of this, I'm going to use this, and I don't have to necessarily have, I don't have uh, uh, like a, a buttermilk, so I'm going to use maybe half yogurt, half milk. I mean, I don't know, something mm-hmm. something like that. But that takes time, right? And, and and that takes a little bit of energy on the part of the person getting ready. Well, if you don't have buttermilk, you just use milk and then you put a little vinegar and it will curdle it and make you buttermilk or lemon juice. (laughs) So, you know, and, and I think that that's, that's it. Again, it goes back to just being curious. I, I, I got called Motormouth the first day of grade one, which is so fitting. And then all these years later, look at what I do for a living, but it's, I've always been curious, you know, and I've, always asked questions and I feel mm-hmm. like you will go through life leading such a rich life if you are curious. And I think if we all stopped, we've been forced to get off this crazy treadmill, I think the last few months. And mm-hmm. I think it's it's allowed us the ability to look a little beyond the grind and it's allowed us to stop and appreciate the little things. Yeah. And so I love that your wife can do that. I think that it is a skill. And I think that for some people, dinner is overwhelming. They don't want to think about it. They don't know where to begin. Mm-hmm. It's it's the equivalent of a teenager opening the cupboards <laughs> and fridge and there's nothing here to eat. Yeah, that's right. Um, right. But there is, you just have to figure out how to put it all together. So uh, my advice is to not get overwhelmed because when it gets overwhelming, then you're not going to do it. So it's, Figuring out on paper, and that's a great exercise, just figure out on paper what you like. What flavors do you like? Or what what style of food or type of food do you enjoy? I also tell people, pretend you are in a restaurant and you are looking at a menu 
which is very specific to a type of cuisine mm-hmm. or pretend you're ordering from a food delivery service because it gives you the big bucket titles. So it says, do you want burgers? Do you want Chinese? Do you want Thai? Do you want Italian? So starting out even with a country is a great way to kind of connect (laughs) to the land and then think, where do we want to go today? What do we want? What flavors come from that part of the world and then if we you know if we're sticking in canada what are some things in canada that we can eat what could we potentially grow and make as a project and then i'll tell you the pride goes through the roof when you actually can make your own bread or your Mm -hmm. own your own basil to use in your own sauce with your own tomatoes i mean that's next level but it's doable it's 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 more doable than you might think so i mean your your enthusiasm is infectious i mean and and clearly i mean you 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 have something to share you want to you want to teach people how to cook but let's 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 be real for a second. Are, are some people just naturals? Like, have you discovered that in fact anyone can cook, or is this maybe a skill that is, you you, you know, there are just some that are just going to be hopeless in the kitchen. I I know, and there are there are television shows about that where they award people for that. Um, I I think everyone can be taught skills. I think anyone can learn how to properly hold a knife. In fact, one of the lessons that I've got coming up is I have to chop 10 feet of celery. Let's do the math on that. Wow. 10 feet, Ten of, feet celery. of celery. Okay. Showing showing all the different types of knife cuts from a dice to a chop to a mince to a julienne to all of those. Is this so, part of your class that you're taking on? Yes. Oh. Yes. Yes. And, and, and photograph each thing from above and submit to the culinary world for them to judge and to look at and to analyze we've come a long way brick and mortar wow we've come a long way online (laughs) but point being i think anyone can learn a skill so to tell someone that they'll never be a great cook i think is inaccurate i think you need to know the foundations i think you have to have a want and a desire to learn a little more. I have a mm-hmm. friend who, yeah. terrible cook, won't cook, has no desire to cook. Right. And you know what? Why would we push cooking on those people? But I think it's important to know some basic skills. And that's that's my that's my hope for the kids and families that I teach is that if I can give you three or four little nuggets here and there that you will attach to the story we shared that day, then you're going to remember that. And you can then tell someone else, Hey, did you know da 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 da? There you go. That's a win. Do you, do you consider yourself to be a foodie? Yes, but not a snob, if that makes sense. <laughs> right. it does. Okay, well, let's explain the difference then. <laughs> okay. So I feel like foodie gets a bit of a, bad rap. I, I take pictures of all my food, my family, God bless them. They know the moment the food hits the table, they're to back off and not touch their forks until I have taken the shot, but it's a joke now. And, and my husband's even getting into it, even though he'd hate to admit it, but it's, it's, and that's for a photo album. That to me is you know, remember the days you'd peel back the plastic on the photo album and you'd try to yes. pry that 
photo that's been stuck in the album for so long. This is the new photo album. So for me, when I take pictures of my food, it holds such, it makes me emotional. It holds such emotional memories for me. And to the day I made it, to who I ate it with, to why we decided to make it. I mean, I don't take pictures of my eggs in the morning or my cereal, but things that are, have a story or, or a reason for why we shared that all together. I do take pictures of those because I want that to pop up on Facebook a year from now or seven years from now so that I can remember, Oh yeah. When Wade had a birthday, I Mm. made him that crazy chocolate cake with espresso in it. And look, look how, what a great day that was. So that's why we take pictures. I love experimenting with food and we do we do a lot of food projects at our house my husband and I both fell in love literally over spices that's how we that's our love story oh amazing and so for me we're yeah we're both we're bite we're both foodies right but I think sometimes foodies are um given a bad rap yeah for sure that, oh, I would never, you wouldn't get me ever to eat blah, blah, blah. Hey, guess what? I'll eat cheese whiz on toast or I will eat something from a convenience store. What do I care? But so I like all food. Mm-hmm. That's why I self a foodie. Excellent. Um, now the ingredients, when you're going to start your cooking, and I, want, I also want to know what your, your favorite meal to make is, but maybe this can all tie in together. Um, is it important for you in your kitchen to know where all the ingredients are coming from? Like, is that, is that maybe part of your decision-making process when you're deciding, uh, maybe as far back as the grocery store, what you're buying? Yes, it is. I, okay, let's, how do I answer this? I am, it's a bit of a wide net. Mm -hmm. I prefer if we can buy things that were locally sourced or locally farmed Absolutely. I will do that because I think it's so important to support all the local farmers who work their tails off to get the food into stores. Um, Farmers markets are always a great option too. So I love all of that. Mm -hmm. Do I make a decision to purchase based solely on that? No, not always. Um, You know, cost does play a role. So we are a family that definitely will, I wouldn't say we buy in bulk. That's not really who we are, but yeah, I mean, I love to purchase items that I, I know like Nanty carrots. I know where they've come from, or if there are little stickers on stuff or like a little feature wall saying this is a locally made product or semi-local. Absolutely. I love to support that. Um, so some of those things are important, but then of course, flour, I don't mill my own flour. I just buy flour at the store. So when yeah. we can, when we can. Well, it's an, it's an, it brings up an interesting paradox because we already talked about this, about the fact that people are becoming a little more interested in, in, in food scarcity and in, in preparing their own food. Um, and not everyone lives close to a market where they can just go down to the local fishmonger or to the local butcher and, and, or to their local farmer and just pick up fresh produce that's not available to them. And so big box or grocery stores still serve a, well, still, they will always serve a purpose. 
Um, do you have Do you have any tips then? As someone you know who I I know I certainly go to the big stores at, mm-hmm. you know as mm-hmm. as a city dweller, but also have a local farmers market. I'm lucky enough to live in a smaller city, so I can just walk down the street on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Well, not so easy mm-hmm. these days, right? Um, so when entering the grocery store, are there any little Places like avoiding the center aisles or, you know, the people should yeah, take into account? I think that something that I love to do, I am not, I know that there are a lot of people in the world who are major canners, they call themselves, because they they can, they they bottle, they pickle, they jam. Mm-hmm. I, I have started to get a little bit into that and it is really satisfying. So my feelings are if you can go to your produce aisle as an example and buy really great cucumbers or the pickling cucumbers or even English cucumbers work. Or if you can get to a market and do that, if not go to your big box store, buy those things if you need to, and then bring them home and transform them into something that will last you much longer, that will keep you out of the stores and enjoying the products that you've made. So there are ways, I mean, strawberries in the summer we're we're heading into the summer when strawberries are a plenty if you can go to a you pick that's incredible if you do purchase your strawberries then spend a saturday with your family make a giant batch of jam that couldn't be easier you can use the thickening agents like a Serto and actually sterilize your jars and hear the popping and make the jam. Right. Or yeah. you can go the shortcut route and make a freezer jam, which I grew up in New Brunswick and strawberry freezer jam. I mean, it's, it's, there is no easier method so, than straw. To explain mm-hmm. that, what's a, what's a freezer jam? So a freezer jam, and maybe this is only in my neck of the woods at home, but we would make a strawberry or any kind of freezer jam, which would really be uh, strawberries, sugar, and a little bit of lemon juice. Mm -hmm. And then you bottle it immediately and then it doesn't pop up and then you would store it in the freezer. So it's almost like a fresh product that you put right into the freezer. So it doesn't need to have sterilized jars and they don't need to pop up. And it's something that you would eat right away within a few weeks. And then if you don't, you pop it in the freezer. So that's something that is easy to make, doesn't take a ton of skill and it allows you to kind of extend the life of things that you are buying. So whether it's making your own quick pickles, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's, you know, taking some ingredients, putting them together and making a relish or, you know, buying ground beef or ground turkey Mm -hmm. or bison or whatever you want to make, making trays of burger patties or meatballs and then popping them into the freezer so that when it comes time to have a backyard barbecue, you've got things that you've already prepped. They're already made. They're already in a freezer and it kind of cuts down on how often you have to go shopping and you've put a little bit of work in. Maybe you've pulled something from your own garden and you've included that Mm. with your pickles or with your burger meat. So there are ways to, to kind of take it to the next level. I mean, you could go really next level and make your own hamburger buns mm-hmm. or your own rolls. And and they're, the recipes have come a long way and things are not difficult 
to make. Well, it's what um, people used to do all the time anyway. I mean, before mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, like we mentioned off the top of the podcast, like this is a skill that maybe that has been lost over the years. And now we just sort of feel like there are a whole bunch of barriers in front of us to keep us from really understanding that this is something at one point you had to know how to do. <laughs> you had yes. to be able to make food. And yes. already, you also mentioned a garden. Do you have a garden? You know what? It's so funny. You would think I would have the most beautiful Oprah Winfrey garden and I don't have, I have herbs. We have herbs. We want to, yeah, we have herbs. So we're growing this year again, because everything you saw people scrambling to purchase every seed packet they could find. And even that gets overwhelming because if you've never done it, I don't know if I can do it. I think I can keep a house plant alive. Can I actually grow my own chives? Mm. But we we scooped up three or four packets. I think we've got a chive, a cilantro, a basil, and an oregano. Mm. And and literally with the smallest little pots, you could even find things, coffee cans, find things around your house, put a little potting soil in, throw the seeds in, give it a water. And within a week, we saw little sprouts. And I'll tell you, there is nothing more exciting than you just feel like a queen of the world. Yeah. That you have literally made something grow out of the land. So I always tell people, um, I work with a wonderful garden center. I'm a brand ambassador for them. And they always share with people, don't hesitate to grow things because you could live in a condo with a windowsill and you could still grow basil or or an herb you mm. could have a tomato a tomato plant you could have a little chi- like grow your own little cherry tomatoes so also we're seeing these these people building box like higher up garden boxes right and yeah. that's something yeah. too we have a black lab out of old drawers would, or something i just yes, fill them with dirt yes. yeah absolutely yeah yes you can do raised garden boxes mm-hmm. you can make that a project where again the advice that I have is don't, it's like when you want to go to the gym, don't go to the gym the first day and run 12 miles because you will not go back the next day. So start slow, start this year. We're going to grow some herbs next year. We're going to attempt tomatoes, like make this an ongoing thing. And if it doesn't work out, it's okay. Not everyone has a green thumb. I love that you kind of brought it back around there actually for me, which is great. The idea of like starting simple with something. Um, but you said that as soon as your herbs started coming up, you you had that sort of that sense of, oh my gosh, I just grew something from the land. And, yes. uh, and I wonder if maybe this whole idea of, of fostering this connection with the land and, and getting getting back into the, uh, the love of cooking and where our food comes from starts at very simple steps like that. Like just a friend of mine has, he has one of those, um, those plastic containers that the chickens yes. at Costco come in you know? mm-hmm. and it has yes. a little plastic dome over the top and he Amazing. filled that with dirt and it has its own little, it becomes its own little greenhouse and it's he a little biodome and That's he, amazing. exactly and he started his herbs in that and uh, there are all sorts of life little little life hacks that you can that you can come up with that and these these little steps then maybe as you say build on that and next year maybe you try tomatoes and then beyond that maybe it's you know who knows you're going to beans and carrots and potatoes after that but um it's got to start small maybe you, rather than you can- going whole hog 
Uh, totally agree. You can also use an egg carton. I, Ooh, oh, yeah. An, an egg carton works where you've got your 12 little divots. You can fill those with potting soil, put idea. little seeds in yeah, so you can yeah. use that. You can use a milk carton. You could take a milk carton. You could split. So it's like, then it, look what we've just done. Now we're arts and crafting with our kids and our families. So I've got, there are ways I've got one that you for can you. do it. Okay, what? So, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Meg. I should never do that. but uh, That is just, okay. I got very excited there for a second because <laughs> uh, we got a little tip from someone that actually said that you can, when you crack an egg, if you crack it in half, you can, well, after you've finished with the egg, you can put a little potting soil in the shell start something in that and then you can just plant the whole thing in the ground when you're done absolutely that eggshell can just go in it's like composting absolutely there are so many ways um we were talking about connected to the land Mm -hmm. remember remember a few months ago when no one could buy flour or yeast (laughs) um my husband Wade, who is the scientist of the food family that we are in, he said, well, I'm going to make my own starter, which I know we're seeing the sourdough craze is everywhere, where some people are being given starters. But he said, no, I'm making my own. There's yeast everywhere. So he took raisins from our pantry and he soaked the raisins in flour and water. And I don't know the exact measurements and then he made his own leaven from raisins which have yeast so then you discard yes and (laughs) oh it it gets better and then i wish you could be talking to him now so (laughs) then he discarded the raisins then he got what he needed from them and then oh ian it was in a mason jar right it's named bread word (laughs) and Breadward, Breadward, I love it. <laughs> Breadward has now been in our family for nine weeks. He was fed twice a day, and you get it to a point where you're ready to go. So yeah. this starter, if you want to continually make bread, you have to feed it twice a day. I believe we have to keep. We kept him in the microwave where it was nice and warm. Mm-hmm. He he. Uh, he got weighed and measured every there was <laughs> right, a piece yeah. of a ma- piece of masking tape on Breadward's jar to see how much he's risen above yes, the line yeah. and then we made we, we I cannot take any credit <laughs> Wade made four loaves absolutely miraculous and then wow. when you don't need bread anymore you can put well Breadward's now in the freezer so mm-hmm. he lives now in the freezer and then when we want to start making bread again. You can take it out of the freezer. And then I believe you only have to feed it once a week or something. Mm -hmm. I'm probably not giving you exact directions, but um, point being, look at that raisins to bread. That that is, that is amazing. (laughs) And that's one of those things that, you know, maybe a hundred years ago, people just, well, I don't know how many raisins were kicking around a hundred years ago, but, but the idea of, of knowing things like that, it's just, it was more commonplace. Um, it was. I love. I love that story about the starter. You know, we have we have a sourdough starter in our house as well, and we've had it for a few weeks now. And uh, and you know the the whole process of taking Marvin and and uh, Marvin is the name of our sourdough starter. I was just going yeah. to ask you what <laughs> yeah. the name is. Well, that's so amazing because <laughs> it's like everyone I've heard. Uh, Clint Yeastwood is another name that's. <laughs> 
<laughs> gets thrown around. Uh, we went with Marvin, and uh, oh, it's just okay. you. You name well. this thing. It. My mother has one too. She calls it the monster because she has limited oh, success yes. with it. And yes. uh, but it becomes almost part of the family, right? Because it's something that you're feeding. It has. Um, it's built into the routine of the running of the household, you know. And I really find that. Um, again, I don't want to really harp on the pandemic, but I mean, for those of you who are listening into the future, we are in the middle of it right now. And it has really forced a lot of us to kind of focus a little more on what's immediately in front of us. And the running of the household is, you know, an important, it's just what we do 24 hours a day now. We don't go out for jobs. Um, and this little jar of starter has become a really important part of that. I could not agree more. I want to share a couple other names that I've heard because okay. they can't sure. um, Emilio Yeastavez, oh. <laughs> uh, okay. Carrie Bradshaw, Sex in the City, <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Brad Pitt, we've heard, oh Jane, Jane Doe, but people are all naming their starters. And I couldn't agree with you more yeah. because we knew, the day he put bread in the freezer, I went to open the microwave and I opened it really carefully for nine weeks and he was gone. And I oh. said, oh, what's happened? You keep him in the microwave? It, because the light is, oh. it's above our stove and okay. the light underneath keeps the microwave quite warm. So it's a good environment oh, for right. to just sit in that area. And so he was gone and I said, oh, where did he go? It, I actually felt an emotional little connection to this annoying thing he had to feed every day, twice a day. But you're right. It became part of our world, mm -hmm. whether that's checking on the herbs and putting them out in the sun in the day, bringing them inside, you know, tending to your little garden, feeding your sourdough. These are ways that we are getting connected to the land mm -hmm. and we're getting a little more. I just like to think it's just, becoming a little more real. We're kind of forgetting about all the gloss and glitz and we're just kind of getting a little more real, which I happen to enjoy. Yeah, me too. Um, Meg Tucker, you are a delight. This has been Thank so you. much fun. Thank you so much for talking to me about this. I mean, we didn't even really scratch the surface. I feel like we could just go on and on about different I names know. for sourdough starters, but... Um, <laughs> I wish you all the best during your uh, your your courses for culinary uh, dominance you. over the world. And I look forward to what you come up with next online. Thank you so much. And I just wanted to put out there, if I may, yes, of that I am launching culinary summer camps for kids. And that's Amazing. something that I wanted to share because it is all about we know summer of 2020 is going to be a little different than what we are used to. And I have been teaching online cook with Meg classes to kids, teens, and families. But I also do adult classes and our adult classes start with a craft cocktail using things you've got around your house. So the kids and teen camps, we decided we needed to do. So they are a four day camp. You can sign up for either a cooking or a baking camp. And each day there will be a skills lesson taught and a story behind every recipe that we're going to make together where it came from why it is what it is we're all going to make the same version step by step it's all taught through zoom mm -hmm. and then at the end of class the kids get to do a bonus activity so we've got scavenger foodie 
scavenger hunts. We've got plating challenges, things to get the kids thinking and and really heightening their experience of going to summer camp. And then at the end of the four days, they receive a care package because what camp would not be complete without a care package. So they get a badge and a certificate and some fun souvenirs. Yeah. And we've had, we have some really cool partners that have come on board to help make it awesome. Camp 75 bucks. And I really hope that kids sign up so they can sign up at cookwithmeg.com. What a great initiative. That's great. Thanks, Meg. Thank you. Connected to the Land is a PV Industries podcast produced by Village Sound, and I'm your host, Ian Sherwood. A special thanks to this episode's sponsor, PV Mart, the 100% Western Canadian-owned, down-to-earth retail chain. You can find more information on PV Mart as well as this episode's guest at connectedtotheland.info. If you enjoyed this program, you should consider subscribing. Also, you can check us out at connectedtotheland.info, our affiliated website and a great resource for homesteading, farming, and all things connected to the land. I look forward to talking with you again in one week's time. Thanks for listening.